Hello, my beautiful besties. This is Editing Rachel here, and I'm here again to give you a quick pre-episode content warning. Today we're talking about the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, so there will be some heavy stuff today in terms of episode content. Um, We're going to be talking about violence and war crimes and a lot of dark history and everything. Please keep that in mind when deciding whether or not you want to view this episode or another one of our awesome episodes. So, uh, we appreciate you, we hope you have a great day, and thanks for listening. Everybody, this is our fifth episode of Gen Z's Guide to Politics, and this week we're talking about the Ukrainian and Russian conflict that's going on, and obviously we're filming this a few days before Friday, so we're not going to have like all the brand new updates, but we'll have the history and kind of like what's causing it and all that stuff. My name's Pauline, and I'm your co-host, and this is Rachel, your other co-host. Hello. Yes, I'm Rachel. And if you don't know us here at Gen Z's Guide to Politics, uh, Pauline and I are your co-hosts and uh, your guides for the podcast. Today, before we get started in the episode, it's just really important to know that this isn't a happy episode. You're probably going to be a little sad and it's okay if you need to like take a break and come back. We understand. It's okay. Um, Before we get into all the nitty gritty we're going to talk about a little bit about like what life is like in russia and we're going to do that by talking about a band called ice peak if you've never heard of ice peak well it tells me that you weren't on tiktok like two years ago because they blew up but ice peak is a band from russia who constantly spoke out about homophobia within russia because if you didn't know um Putin made an anti-gay law that essentially like you couldn't show affection of like non-traditional relationships in public so like I was with like another girl like we couldn't touch or hug or kiss in public especially around children if you did it around children it was like a public offense they even have commercials that would be aired like in schools about how it wasn't right so yeah there's that they also spoke out about how essentially they had no democracy within the country they have a song called death no more but I think it also you can find it under the name t-r-r-s-t it's supposed to like stand for like terrorist I think But anyway, the song Death No More is essentially talking about how death means absolutely nothing compared to what life is like in Russia. Death offers more solace than what like living in Russia does. And they even talk about how it's not a suicidal feeling. It is like a soul crushing feeling. But uh, many people, not just Ice Peak, like many people in Russia have talked about how living there is absolutely atrocious and there is whatsoever no free will to the extent that if you try and look up what life in Russia is like, you're going to have a really hard time trying to find it, like a very difficult time. Like what we'll talk about later in the episode is when we're looking at the history of the USSR and the history that Ukraine and Russia share, share together is that many Ukrainians had their entire like history and culture stolen away from them. That is what 
the president of Ukraine and most of the citizens feel like Putin wants to do. He wants to erase their Ukrainian heritage and culture and erase them as people and see everybody as Russians. But that would be like if we had a president come to the U.S. and go, okay, indigenous, Hispanic people, black people, and European white people are all the same. There is absolutely no difference. And you're going to act as if we all share the exact same culture when there's not, because generational trauma is what shapes a lot of people of color. I'm not sure I would be who I am today without my generational trauma, which is not something to brag about, but it is like also just like my culture in general, like I wouldn't be the same person. Mm -hmm. So it's really scary, like what he is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, because our culture, like where we come from, I think like, it's so important to our identity and to just like make everybody kind of one monolithic body. It's very like, um, Oh, also what we've seen in the past when presidents go, Hmm, I'm going to ban gay people from public spaces. That's the next road to, Hmm, I'm going to put cameras in people's houses and see if they're gay in their houses. Hmm. Like it's just, it's getting a little too close to like it's just not it's just like borderline not okay it's not cool <laughs> i think we're just uh we're right there on the not okay you know um we're right there no we've crossed the line <laughs> it's, it's not okay yeah honestly like geographically where are we we're in not okay right now <laughs> your question with we're in pangea <laughs> um yeah citizens are often aware that main news sources are not reliable for accurate information. So they remain kind of either uninformed or misinformed about what's going on around the rest of the world, but also what's going on in their own country, which can be super dangerous, obviously. And we also know now uh, over the last few days of everything that's been going on in the Ukraine, we know that a lot of the Russian soldiers that were sent were not even enlisted in terms of like uh going on the front lines to fight if that makes sense so they weren't they were like chefs they just sent like chefs and electric men to go fight yeah like they literally so i guess what happened um there was like one report where these russian soldiers like they didn't know what was going on and they also in russia um putin's been putting out this information saying that ukraine is like a nazi state (laughs) Yeah, which is like is totally the Russian people and the people who are in the military, they either weren't fully aware of what was going on or they thought that they were going to, you know, go into a super oppressed um, country and state uh, to help people. There was a situation where there was a bunch of soldiers that were sent into Russia. It was kind of like found out that the people who had been sent, a lot of them were not soldiers. So they were like, Uh, you know, engineers or mechanics or just people who were not meant to go to the active front lines and be fighting. And they were told that they were going for a training exercise in the Ukraine and that they would be greeted with flowers. And when they got there, they were like, oh, okay, you're in Ukraine, like go fight. And so they had no idea what they were being sent into. So it seems like the Russian people, some of the people that are going uh, into the Ukraine don't have a full understanding even of what's what's going on or where they're going uh, or why they're going. 
which to me is is super disturbing honestly you have a neo-nazi problem though that is a real thing not to say like putin is not in the right that's not at all what i'm saying here he is totally wrong ukraine refuses to like ban neo-nazism and I think it's kind of like in the same sense of like how there are still neo-Nazi towns in the U.S., like and there's still sundown towns. And I think neo-Nazism is technically outlawed in North and not North Carolina in the U.S. That doesn't change the fact that they're not still finding black people and people that they don't fit their neo-Nazi Nazism standards and they're not murdering like that still happens. And also, I think it has something else to do with there's a lot of neo-Nazis in Ukraine, like there's a good amount of them but they don't like a specifically, I think, attack people. So maybe yeah. that's, so they have big problems to worry about because, you know, Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine like several years ago. That's been an ongoing problem. They've had troops going into Ukraine for several years now. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't just something that appeared overnight. So worrying about getting the other part of your country back versus neo-Nazis, you're going to be like, I'm going to get the other part of my country back. Yeah, right. You know, there's a lot of things going on involving anti-Semitism and like Nazi ideology. So and also the president of Ukraine is Jewish. Uh, President Zelensky is his name, if you haven't heard his name already. And Zelensky had family that was lost in the Holocaust. And his grandfather was also fighting Nazis as well during World War Two. So he himself also has a lot of connection historically to those events and everything, which kind of makes what Putin was saying about like, oh, we're going to help, you know, people who are in a Nazi occupied country. It just makes it so much worse. So just disgusting. Yeah. So Vladimir Putin was born in 1952. He's kind of old. He studied law and served as a KGB. If you don't know what a KGB is, think James Bond, but Russian. Uh, He was democratically elected as a mayor, launched a well-organized military operation against rebels during his time as a mayor. The previous president left and Putin was then the acting president. He was then, quote unquote, re-elected for a third time. Many believe this was electoral fraud because it was. (laughs) He will not let citizens, U.S. citizens, adopt Russian children. He granted asylum to Edward Snowden. He's like this really smart. I'm going to hack into the government guy who leaked NSA secrets. He then made anti-gay laws. Um, he invaded Crimea in 2014 to enhance Russia's forces. So essentially he's cuckoo. He did like, uh, live inside of a bear though, like kill a bear and then live in him in the wilderness. Yeah. But it seems like he might've retracted that statement because I couldn't find as many statements about it. Mm-hmm. That man is psycho. Yeah. Yeah. I know that he has, I think I did hear that about, about the bear thing actually, because when I think I was in high school, we had a lesson on like the spreading of information or whatever. And one of the things they brought up was that Putin will release news articles that are like, oh, like I killed a bear and lived inside of it. Or like, oh, I can ride dolphins um, or I can tame any horse or whatever. Uh, And so he'll put like photoshopped pictures and those articles out to the press. So it makes him look incredible. Um, Pauline's cat is, is hanging out with us right now. So um, if you want to know why he suddenly came in here, it was because, and if you're ever worried, you know, crap, I really hate my cat. He's always up to some devious activities. 
my cat was just swinging from the doorknob trying to open it. Oh my God. Before we started recording, we were giving each other a quick debriefing on what we were talking about and he attacked the mirror, like just mid zoom. Also, he knows how to sit. So that's terrifying as well. You can just yell, Daichi sit and he'll just sit down. I love Daichi. Daichi is like um, diploma cat. Diploma cat, yeah. Diploma cat, no, that means as tough as rocks. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's to tot him up so he'll wait for his dinner on the ground. And then I'll I'll make this noise and he'll jump up on his uh, food stand and then he'll eat dinner. That's so cute. Aww. What a nice Daichi break. I love that. Back to back to Europe and Ukraine. We're gonna start with the history of the USSR. And unfortunately for this episode, you're probably going to hear one person's voice for kind of a while, and then we'll discuss because there's a lot to go through. Okay, so Ukraine and Russia have been connected for like a thousand years and some change. And over that time, like Ukraine has been taken over by competing evil, creepy little leaders for a very long time. It started in the 13th century with the Mongols, and then in the 16th century, it was the Lithuanians and then the Polish and then in the 17th century is the Polish versus the Russians trying to take over Ukraine. My point being is they've constantly never been like in a state where it's just been them by themselves. And then in 1773, Ukraine was annexed by Russia. And this annexed kind of means that like we're bros, but we're not like you don't got to listen to everything that I say. So like you've joined me, but you still have some kind of freedom. And they would not allow the learning of the Ukrainian language or the Ukrainian Ukrainian faith or the history of, I say forced because it was more forced than pressure to convert themselves to the Russian Orthodox faith, which if you know anything about the Russian Orthodox faith, it's pretty strict. It's more strict than Catholicism. And Catholicism is pretty strict itself too. You're not allowed to use birth control or condoms or get a divorce like no matter what. And this was actually called Russification when they forced everyone to do this. And obviously this isn't a funny subject, but like- The term is a little bit, uh, haha, like, oh, what, what? So Russification, that's like, I, yeah. I don't know why I see that in a bold, like bold impact meme font. I don't know why, but. (laughs) Um, So Ukrainians have obviously suffered a lot. They have suffered a lot. But a lot of the atrocities that they had to go through were during the 20th century. But starting in 1917, there was a communist revolution that brought the, a terrible, a terrible civil war. It was atrocious. I'm not going to go into details, but it was atrocious, which led to the Soviet Union to fully absorbing them in 1922. So essentially within the civil war, some Ukrainians were like, yo, we don't want to join you. And Soviet Union people were like, you're coming with us. So eventually, USSR won. In the 1930s, um, peasants were made to go to farms. So like they were like, you peasant, go to the farm and farm things. I don't know what they were farming. For the sake of this conversation, let's say carrots and potatoes. So this then led to Stalin, which is one of the worst leaders in Russia. There's a lot of bad ones, but Stalin was absolutely, once again, atrocious. And he was like, orchestrate a famine is what I'm going to do. And he orchestrated a famine, which led to the death and starvation of millions of Ukrainians. He then made several Russians. And this is really weird. He made a lot of Russians go to Ukraine and repopulate the area of the people that he orchestrated the famine of. So essentially his goal was to get a whole bunch of like Ukrainians out and then put a whole bunch of pro-Russia people into Ukraine 
So within some amount of time, they would all vote for him. So then this caused East Ukraine to go under a lot of Russian rule. They were like, whoa, Russia. And then the rest of Ukraine was kind of just like, you guys are a little cuckoo. We're going to keep to ourselves over here. And then this also caused like a huge divide. So think of like what was during like slavery time. And after the North was like, no slavery. And the South was like slavery, kind of the same thing. So the East was Ru- the East was Russian speaking and they were like Russian Orthodox while the West was Catholic and Ukraine speaking, which is a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. And then when the Soviet Union fell or the USSR, In 1991, Ukraine was finally off to see the big world by themselves with no interruptions. Yay. They're single. Yes. (laughs) Um, However, there was a huge divide within the country because there were tons of Russians and then tons of Ukrainians, which the transition was apparently terrible, brutal, and extremely painful and so hard to watch. (laughs) There was a lot of trauma involved for a lot of older generations. And then in 2004, there was a march called the, um, during the 2004 Orange Revolution, during which many Ukrainians showed the support for the overall European theme, so like democracy and capitalism. But because Ukraine is a newer country, democracy and capitalism is pretty sustainable for them. But it's important to remember that democracy and capitalism, specifically capitalism, is not sustainable long term and no no political stance, capitalism, communism, socialism, nothing is sustainable long term. Nothing in the world. Like you have to make changes to everything that you do. And then now Rachel is going to talk to us about where NATO comes into play. I sure am. I sure am. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting point on what Pauline was saying about Russia, like kind of trying to erase Ukraine in the sense of like culture and uh, social stuff and everything. The a lot of the time in Ukraine and in Russia, both there will be people who maybe they live in Ukraine, but they'll say like, oh, I'm Russian. And they mean, you know, it kind of links back to that historic thing of like, you know, I am Russian or I like I associate with Russia, I identify with with Russia, but they're living in Ukraine and they could also be considered Ukrainian. So I know that this sort of complex and complicated history that Pauline was talking about, like it still very much plays a part in the citizens of those two countries, like the way that they understand their identity and the way that they identify themselves as well. So I thought that was interesting. Really quick before you continue, because also talk about American politics, but if you think right now that Ukraine is in the right, which they are, and you believe that indigenous people in America aren't in the right, then you need to like check yourself. Mm-hmm. yeah but it's very similar how like black people in america will go i'm african or i'm black mm-hmm. instead of going like i'm american or how indigenous people instead of saying like i'm native american they'll go i'm indigenous mm-hmm. so just so you're like a little bit more educated if you have an indigenous friend and they say that so you don't have to ask a stupid question and embarrass yourself yeah. but yeah identity is a very complex thing and um this is a really kind of a good example, but also like an example that I think we can understand in our day-to-day lives that are happening right now. So that being said, now that we have the history of the USSR in mind, and also a little bit of understanding about how Ukraine and Russia have developed a very messy relationship over the past, you know, couple eons, centuries, what have you. So it obviously goes back super far uh, in terms of that in the conflict between those two. But 
what I'm going to talk about is NATO. And y'all have probably heard the word NATO and like the term NATO thrown around like a lot uh, all over the news or on your timelines, your feeds. And I don't know, not everybody really is like, has a full understanding of what NATO is and all the things that are involved in it, because it's just not something that we really know a lot about in terms of history or foreign relations. So lucky for y'all, I spent a hot semester in foreign relations class and I wrote two agonizing papers on NATO. So I know a lot about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Crazy. (laughs) Um, So NATO stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And what NATO is, is a security organization of countries across the world. And it was signed in 1949 in the aftermath of the Second World War. So um, there's two countries in North America that are in NATO, and there's 28 in Europe. Obviously, the United States is one of them. And that's something that comes up a lot in talking about and discussions of, of this conflict is pointing out NATO relations. So the terms are essentially that all the countries that are signed into the NATO pact agree that they're going to protect each other with mutual defense should there ever be a situation in which one of them does need protection from a body that is outside of NATO. So um, what that means is like if there were to be like some kind of conflict on American soil for say, you know, our countries that are allies in NATO would come help us out in terms of like military. and So it's kind of like, you know, it's like your friend group, essentially. It's like, okay, like I'll be, I'll be cool with you. If you'd be cool with me, like, Oh, here's a really cool euphoria reference that I'm going to talk about since I just watched the finale. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you know how like Maddie and the vape girl and cat bro, like screw you. And then like, what's her name? Cassie attacked them. And then they all attacked her. So pretend that the Cassie is like, let's pretend Sweden attacked uh, America. Okay? America yeah. Everybody else from NATO was like, screw you. Okay. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Perfect uh, Gen Z example right there. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of like um, a sense of added protection and acknowledgement. Like we're going to stand together and we share the same kind of Western ideals, essentially. So historians have looked at NATO and its place in history from a lot of different perspectives. And that's what kind of what I was studying a lot in this class I took was the different um, historian perspectives in terms of all foreign relations. But, um, you know, we did talk a lot about NATO. Uh, And the reason we did is because it significantly impacts world foreign affairs and how things are decided and everything. And there's a lot of ideas about how it's benefited us and how it's also not benefited us and everything like that. So a lot of different people who have an understanding of politics and history will talk about, you know, the pros and the cons of NATO. Either way, there's a couple things we're going to talk about from those historical perspectives that I would like to bring up for this specific conversation. So whoop, whoop. woohoo, look at us go, right? <laughs> um, so I think one of those historical perspectives that's important to bring up is the idea of using the North Atlantic Treaty for a strategy called containment and also for nation building, something called nation building. So first, we'll go back a little bit. I'm going to uh, define containment for y'all. We kind of need that to go forward, I guess. Um, so 
containment is a political ideology. So it's kind of like a school of thought that people will adopt thinking about it that way. So there are different ideologies we can talk about. And a lot of the time it will depend on like the historical context or the context of like what's happening around the world. Um, so we have containment. Uh, another example is isolationism. So isolationism, for an example, is where we decide to become as uninvolved with other nation with other nations um, or their affairs as much as possible, or we'll become indirectly involved through methods of like giving like weapons or uh, finances or things like that, which is not quite isolationist, but it is isolationist tendency. So that would be a good example of like another school of political thought. So containment um, is an ideology that showed up after what was called the long telegram dropped. You know, George Kennan was like, boy, US, do I have a mixtape for you? <laughs> and so this was after World War II and everything, um, sort of in the aftermath of that. And so George Kennan was a worker at the US embassy in Moscow. And uh, the United States was like, hey, can you like, can you give us the tea? Like, we need to know what's going on in Russia. And so Kennan telegrammed the United States or he kind of he had to send a few different telegrams because like all the tea just just couldn't fit in one telegram. Because if you don't know, you can only send a specific amount of like stuff, like info in a telegram. So um, he had to send a couple, which is why it was called the long telegram. Um, That's dumb than that is dumb really quick though it's like older technology though it's really interesting to watch it like progress so um I have braces none of you would know that because I never smile with my teeth because I have braces and <laughs> you can't see us <laughs> but so like there's this toothbrush that also flosses your teeth at the same time that's brushes your teeth <laughs> and it's like dollars i'm about to buy one i'm gonna spend like so much money but like i don't know it'd be so convenient because also for anybody i don't know if anybody has braces and you're listening to us because i know a lot of adults don't have braces but those little like pick flossers that you can use when you don't have braces they have them for people that have braces and they are called like the the hippo i don't know the platypus they're called the platypus they work well but just so everybody knows I'm gonna tell you because I didn't know and I've had my braces for like almost two years now. That's wicked. Yeah. That's wicked. Well, good info for anybody uh who has braces on the podcast. Yeah. Of- so he sent this telegram, uh, or more like it's like a tea gram, honestly. So much tea. Um anyway, I'll leave. Sorry. It's like a gram of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um many grams of tea. Uh so um, George Kennan was stationed in Moscow, so he could see everything that was going on and how Stalin was very much aggressively spreading this communist ideology to his people, um, or trying to really. Uh, and he was very intent on spreading communist ideology through the rest of Europe as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Communism by itself isn't necessarily like the worst thing in the world, but the way that it's instituted is what makes it so bad. Yeah. Because it's not like everything sounds 100% amazing on paper. And if you're an American and you're doing this, I can't stand you. And I hope you know that (laughs) people that are like talking right now during this crisis and going communism isn't that bad. I'm on Russia's side. We know that capitalism is bad. We know that it's not being instituted properly in America. But with that being said, you don't get to make fun of somebody else's situation unless you're actively living through it. And we know that communism 
isn't that bad. I've read like Karl Marx's book. I read it like three times when I was in middle school. I know it's not bad, but the way that it's instituted is what makes it bad. It sounds good, but it's bad. You just need to remember that. Don't argue. It's bad. Yes, exactly. So this was a concern for the United States because especially after the Second World War, um, historically, a lot of countries in Europe were reeling from what happened in World War II. And so a lot of the countries that were in Europe were very destabilized and very vulnerable to looking for new leaders, new ideologies, and trying to figure themselves out again. So Stalin's plan was to roll right up and be like, hey girl, like I got you. Here's some communism. Here's some Marxism. You'll be all good again. And so the United States obviously did not want that. They were like, communism is really bad. And there was sort of this fear of like, the death of democracy and like if Russia had too much power um, or too much influence in Europe that the United States would be in a lot of danger. Is it kind of like that scene from the Spongebob movie where they all have like the helmets on? Like America was afraid that was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because they were like, okay, communism is directly against capitalist ideology. And Stalin was also very much like Stalin would give speeches and say like, If the West, like if you guys think that we can actually have a healthy conversation with the West, like, no, like if it's Western, we got to just get rid of it. We just got to nix it. Like, yeah. So it was like there was high stakes, like in that way of like Stalin very clearly had that idea and everything that like they were inherently separate. And the United States had that idea, too. So that's sort of what sent us into the Cold War and our relationship with Russia was the start of the long telegram being sent and everything. So capitalism is, I'm going to give you the word definition. This is from Oxford Dictionaries. An economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. You're probably like, what in the world does that mean? So you decide who gets money instead of the state. In your head, you're like, cool, this is awesome. You know, like free control. I can do what I want. And hypothetically, yes, everything is beautiful on paper. Everything. Look at the Mona Lisa picture and then try and pose like Mona Lisa and you'll be like, ew. So my point being is the reason that capitalism is bad in America is like now we're seeing late, tra- late, like late trade capitalism. It's like everything in our economy is falling apart. Inflation will rise during late stage capitalism. A lot of times things will start being controlled by the government unknowingly. There's a lot of fair disparities towards the people. Like there's no health care for free. There's no like you get to choose what you buy. But for the trade off of being able to choose what you buy, there's like you got to literally choose everything. Um, oh, and Rachel's now communism. <laughs> Always Uber instead of take the ambulance. Am I right, guys? Um, so communism, on the other hand, of course, directly against capitalism is a philosophical, social, political, and economic ideology and movement whose goal is the establishment um, of a communist society, which is namely a socioeconomic order structured upon the ideas of common ownership and the means of production and the absence of social classes. So the five main kind of characteristics of communism that I think would be good to bring up as like kind of a reference, abolition of private property, So essentially, like, there's a collective ownership of property rather than, like, somebody just owning their own land, if that makes sense. Um, So it's like a big little farm where everyone lives happy. Yeah, exactly. It's like if that worked out fine. What are those called? Yeah. What are are those called? 
a convent? No, well, they're not called a convent. That's a church. Um, cooperatives. Cooperatives. Okay, co like cohorts or co-op. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. So it's it's very similar to that, actually. Yeah. So yeah, abolition of private property, collective ownership of means of production. So everybody has access to um, the things that make food and resources and what have you. Central planning. So everybody is involved in planning. Elimination of unfair gaps in wages, which is also like everybody gets equality in terms of wage and whatever. That's kind of one of the things that I think does like work out well on paper, but really poorly not on paper because like like the argument is like if Pauline does like no work and Rachel does like all the work, like how's that fair? But really, why does that matter? Can somebody tell me why that actually matters? You got a free house, got, and this is all on paper. Obviously, it's not like how cap- communism actually works. Right. You got a free house. You got free healthcare. You got free electricity. You got free basically everything except food and your wants. And you're complaining that your neighbor, Mrs. Carly, didn't work as hard as you one day because she's 80 and you're 23. Right. Like, it works great on paper. But, like, when you really start trying to get into the logistics of, like, well, I want capitalism because I'm going to work three times as harder. I can't work, like, a job where, like, I'm standing on my feet for 24, like, not 24 hours, but for a really long time. Or in a like a very stressful environment because I have PTSD. So like, you could just like go to a different field. They could put you in a different field. Mm-hmm. But yeah. my point big is the people that try and argue about it on paper, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work out in real life. It's terrible in real life. But on paper, it's fine. Yes. Um. And the last one is provisions of ne- necessities, necessaries, but necess- necessities. Ugh, excuse me of life so (laughs) yeah it's like the song it's like um you know your bare necessities like food clothes water again like kind of resource stuff but obviously when they did try to implement it in a lot of different countries a lot of times it doesn't go very well because it's also a thing of like people have different needs so like the government can be like oh well you have what you need but like maybe maybe they don't like maybe somebody has an illness and they need more xyz they need more money whatever so again or it doesn't always work out the best in reality as it does on paper but those are the kind of two... like a buttload of control too yeah exactly that's the other like that's the biggest that's next to like if your neighbor does more work that's probably the biggest argument is that like every place that it's been that it's been installed in like there has been way too much power given to a government and nobody listens to the citizens because they don't really have nobody, to. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard for people to get capital because of it. And like socialism is kind of, if you're ever curious, because I know I've said socialism like four times, socialism is kind of like if democracy and communism had a baby and Bernie Sanders, when he was running for president, wanted to install a social de- democratic um in, like government and if you've ever looked at his proposals and like what he wanted it was actually really good and socialism isn't as scary as like your local jason says it is yeah it's not as scary yes communism is much scarier yeah. much scarier yeah exactly obviously hearing this uh from george kennan the united states was like oh shit like what are we gonna do we gotta figure something out so um, especially because, you know, everybody's just like, OK, huge world war has just happened. So everybody's kind of trying to figure themselves out. Kennan, uh, George Kennan, who had sent the telegram, came up with the idea of containment. Containment was a way to literally contain the spread of communism across Europe. 
So Kennan essentially thought that if any country was at risk for adopting Marxist or communist ideals or ideologies, the United States could prevent that through giving these countries economic, political, military, and cultural slash social support. So this would prevent those countries from turning to communism and ultimately stop it from spreading. So that was essentially the idea of containment and was largely a motivation for starting NATO. When uh, President Truman, through the Truman Doctrine, uh, which is a legal document and everything, if you're curious, you can go ahead and read it. It's online. Um, He adopted the containment strategy. And so NATO was one of those ways to essentially say, okay, we are the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. If you want to um, join this pact with us, we will give you that mutual defense, that mutual protection, should another superpower attack. And so these countries started to band together. That was how the West kind of made its place and made its statements about who it was going to fight with. And everybody kind of knew if you are a part of NATO, then you are standing with the Western alliance. If you are not, if maybe you're on Russia's side, you would have been a part of the Warsaw Pact, which was kind of the opposite of NATO. Um, Yeah. And another thing to mention, actually, is just that the United States and Russia, um, those two kind of going head to head in conflict, Russia and the United States both were like, okay, none of these countries are standalone countries anymore. You're either with the USSR or you are with the Western alliance, like the United States. So it became a kind of thing of like, all right, whatever country we can influence, we're going to try to. Rachel, Russia isn't part of NATO right now, right? No, Russia has never been a part of NATO, um, but they have the Warsaw Pact, which is essentially like the Russian version of NATO with a couple countries, yeah. Really quick before we go forward, and this is kind of like, it's like a little tidbit that is important to remember. So- Right around the time that George W. Bush was in office, he talked about how other countries might join NATO, but he also like downplayed it. So he was like, eh, it probably won't happen, but it could, it could, it might, who knows? I can't see the future. And Russia took this as like, no one's joining NATO. Those are future countries we can take back over. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we remember that because that is why Putin was like, if you go, if you if Finland and Sweden join NATO, I'm going to come get you. Yeah, Russia is, Vladimir Putin is not, yeah, yeah, not your local liberal arts student, I'll say that. Um, (laughs) So that's containment. And another thing I want to touch on briefly kind of is the idea of nation building, which NATO has also been a huge part of. And nation building is a concept that was around prior to NATO, um, but it's essentially when a country such as the United States Uh, seeks to build or shape a nation in an attempt to keep it in a stable and viable state for different reasons. So nation building requires a country of greater power to step into the affairs of a country that is usually like either much much smaller or less developed in terms of infrastructure or some countries that maybe have just found um, their independence and have just established that. They are often very vulnerable to nation building. With nation building, 
the main aid that's offered is military power. So that's so that means that a country who's being supported obviously will have a better chance at protecting their independence or early, you know, formations or construction, but also financial aid that helps them build up that infrastructure. And so it can also involve the use of propaganda or mass programming that pushes citizens toward the school of thought that the quote unquote builder nation wants to spread. So it's it's effectively a way for countries to have more authority and control over the way that a country and its people are developed and shaped, which often means that they're going to try to shape these countries in their own image. So pretty imperialist vibes, especially from the US. These things are really important to know when people are like, why do we always get involved with wars all the time? Like they're not coming after us. Like, why are we getting involved? A lot of the time it's because we're involved in these partnerships or I don't know, we have these desires to get resources or build, you know, a country in our image. So like, you know, or there's finances tied up in that. So that's like why we will get involved, even if it's like indirectly a lot of the time. And the Ukraine is not in NATO but they are recognized as a part of NATO. So it's kind of like the friends with benefits vibes. But like specifically, they will not back them up for like a, like in the event of like what is going on right now, Mm NATO is not going to back them up. Yeah, Like they recognize them as a nation, but that doesn't mean that they're going to help them Mm -hmm. because like Putin has threatened several nations that if you join NATO, I'm going to whoop your ass. Mm -hmm. But like they can't, he can't actually like whoop anybody's ass. Oh, hold on. Um, Breaking news, Russia and Valerian athletes are banned from, like, every competition, like, all sports that are, like, worldwide sports, which makes sense because I'm pretty sure Germany was banned during the Olympics, too. Yeah. What's happening? Makes sense. Um, Participate in war, you don't get to play kickball. That sounds right. You naughty kid. (laughs) But, yes, it's it's important to remember that, like, they are recognized as, like, it's like going to your like younger sibling and going, yeah, you're cool, but I'm not going to help you mm-hmm. ever. It's kind of that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, that's why they are not getting help mm-hmm. like from any nation in NATO right now. Yeah. Well, some nations are helping them, but it's like nations that aren't part of like NATO. Yeah. So like America is like sending troops to surrounding countries that are around Ukraine to back up their borders, but they're not sending troops to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Yeah, because the Ukraine is not in NATO um, and NATO like kind of offered a path to Ukraine for membership, but the members of NATO could never reach a general agreement about it. So they're not an official member yet. Putin obviously does not want Ukraine to be a part of NATO. And like Pauline was saying, like has threatened retaliation against countries that want to be a part of NATO. And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that, specifically with Ukraine. If the Ukraine were to join NATO, there would essentially be a wall of countries tied to the West that would restrict access to trade routes for Russian people or for Russia as a country. And Ukraine also has a huge amount of trade ports and resources, especially oil. You know, you know, Russia is like, they're, they're on that oil grind. They want that oil. Um, yeah. And so geographically, also, Russia would be on the border of a country that was part of the Western alliance. So but like Pauline was saying, Joe Biden has talked a lot about how we're not going to put troops on the ground in Ukraine itself. Like we he's like, no, there's no troops going there. But he has stated that no matter what, we will be defending NATO territory. 
So that means if Russia were to decide that they were going to move on to other countries as a part of this invasion on the Ukraine and would start to go after other countries that are in NATO, Biden would be much more likely to get involved, like deeply involved. He does already have troops, um, like we said, stationed in countries that are part of NATO. So no, uh, no troops in Ukraine. But he has been, you know, has made it a point to say, if you go after anybody from NATO, we're going to fuck your shit up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's what it is. The U.S. isn't sending any troops, but they are sending humanitarian aid. So they send 40. Oh, my God. Fifty four million dollars in humanitarian aid. Oh, my God. He is sending. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is so much money. He has sent a total of four hundred million dollars to Ukraine. And the U.N. also gave them 20 million. Wow. I wish you could see my face. I look like a petrified grandma. (laughs) I can confirm. I look like that, too. We both do. No, you're good. You're good. So good. (laughs) The United Kingdom is sending them tons of weapons and medical supplies as well. That's good. Yeah. So now that you're a little bit more filled in on the uh, the historical aspects of the conflict and like all the things that are kind of leading up to this to where we are today. And we're going to talk about what exactly is going on as of today. So we're recording this on March 2nd. Technically, all of the information that we have up to this point we are uh, gathering from March 1st. So, because it's also relatively early in the morning when we're recording. So, so looking at some info from the New York Times, they have some really great maps that are showing where Russia was off each day or where um, troops were. And they also have a great map of all the refugees that have been um, heading out of Ukraine with the recent assaults. As of March 1st, Russia has seized territory in both the south and the eastern part of Ukraine. And And Chernobyl. And Chernobyl, yes. They did take that that region of land. Nuclear waste composite, which is a little scarier than because Russia can't physically nuke Ukraine without hurting themselves. Like they can't do it. And then they would also hurt Crimea, which they already took over. So that would be stupid. But they can hurt them with the nuclear waste deposit without hurting themselves. So that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. So, and nuclear stuff is like definitely a big question mark at this point right now. So we're hearing a lot about Kiev, which is the capital city of Ukraine. And the thing is, Russian forces are actually still, as of this moment, shut out of the capital city and other major cities. But this has been prompting them to then surround those cities, which is kind of really amping up. And it's also amplified the effects of harm to civilian infrastructure and buildings because they're dropping bombs and airstrikes. So major cities like Kiev and Kharkiv uh, have been the targets of airstrikes and shelling because, again, they can't get into these cities and kind of do the ground fighting um, or they haven't been successful in doing that. So ground fighting is going on at uh, Chernihiv. I think is how you pronounce uh, this city, uh, Kherson and Mariupol. 
I apologize if I'm mispronouncing, Mariupol is an important port city, and this is one of the ones in the south. They're struggling to maintain electricity and everything as well. So that's sort of where a lot of the major conflict is going on in terms of uh, military efforts from Russia. Not to be, I don't want you guys to think that I'm cold-hearted, but this is something that's very interesting to see, though, because this is the first war of Gen Z's time that we're able to actually follow and understand what's happening. We weren't able to understand what was happening in Afghanistan, like at all. And we talked about that. Like we couldn't follow what was happening. And it's also interesting to see that this is one of the first times ever that we've seen a president on the front lines helping his citizens, like fighting with them. He might be requesting that fathers and sons stay behind to fight, but he is fighting right there with them, which is one thing that we have never, almost never seen before, which is pretty amazing that, you know, President Zelensky is staying there and helping because he's he's really fighting for his citizens, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's the effort that President Zelensky is putting forth from what we've seen is actually, yeah, it's admirable. You know, when war tends to hit a country, a lot of the time the oligarchs and the leaders will just leave with their families and they'll go to a disclosed location. And the thought is like, well, we have to keep the leaders safe so that they can you know, command or demand like certain things of the military and they can do the operations or whatever. But Zelensky has stayed back. He is out there like with people from Ukraine, like fighting. He, I think a couple of days ago, he was saying he logs on every four hours or so to update things, to check, you know, things from other countries or whatever. But for the most part, like he's really out there serving his country. And I think it's important to think about like if America was attacked by a foreign body or we were experiencing war, how crazy would it be to see somebody like Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Joe Biden just suit up and be like, all right, I'm headed out. Like, I'm going to go out and help. Like, I just can't even think about that happening. I feel like it just wouldn't. Just like literally wouldn't happen. So To me, like, I think that that's just such like the contrast between those two things, very important to think about. We wanted to mention two things um, that had also happened very recently that are pretty important. Um, Yesterday, Russian forces bombed a Holocaust memorial site, which was which is called uh, Babi Yar. Russia bombed a TV tower and the site was in very, very close vicinity to the tower And this site was where 30,000 Jews were killed by Nazis in this specific location during the Holocaust. Uh, There was a huge massacre there and over 30,000 killed. So a lot of people believe this to be a very intentional targeting and think Putin may be trying to send a message with this, which wouldn't be unreasonable to think, which is so disgusting that he did that. Absolutely. Yeah, the people who suffered so much and who died and passed away in the Holocaust, they, you know, have passed away at this site. It's been memorialized. And you think about trying to give peace back, what little peace you can give back to the land and to the people. And a big situation. And then he just shat on it. Yeah. Literally shat on it. Yeah. We wanted to bring that up um, and everything. But Also on March 1st, um, yesterday, the United Nations is kind of beginning to get involved, or they were involved prior to March 1st, but March 1st 
there was some stuff that happened. So today is March 2nd, like I said. So today they are going to call a vote that would demand Russia to stop the war in Ukraine. 94 countries in the United Nations had co-sponsored the bill by the end of Tuesday. The European leaders are making statements about offering space to refugees and everything as well. One thing we do want to mention too, that the United Nations, yeah, it's it's really helpful they're getting involved because they are the organization that is supposed to keep peace and encourage peacekeeping and diplomacy. But at the same time, there's nothing legally that the United Nations could really do. The United Nations can intervene in the way of removing Russia from the United Nations, but you There's know. not like authority that they actually can offer. So this, the vote offers very little solace. If nothing else, it will be um, a good statement to know where, where certain countries stand and everything. But so they the best that they can do is kind of promote keeping peace and diplomacy and everything. And they do a lot of great work for sure. But like persuade other countries to agree on certain sanctions. But I think that's borderline like the most that they can do. So um, that will also be happening today so first off before we start talking about sanctions we have to talk about why the heck aren't we doing anything why aren't we helping and it is because as we talked about earlier ukraine's not part of nato along with several other countries like finland and sweden and it kind of because russia is also threatening finland and sweden it kind of makes you think they're not just after ukraine and Ukrainians, they have bigger goals to expand Russia as a whole, which comes down to they want more money because their economy has been shit. So essentially every country that's near them that's not part of NATO, at this point, we can kind of go ahead and believe that they have their eyes on it, which is a problem because they don't intend on letting any of those citizens keep their culture or their history or their residency whatsoever. So we can't get involved without the rest of NATO getting involved, which could potentially lead to a nuclear war. So we get involved in the way of sanctions. And sanctions can be anything on the way of like blocking a port or blocking an airspace or blocking you from using certain like banks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. Speaking of sanctions, breaking news, shares of Russia's largest bank tank trading for about a penny. That's pathetic. If you didn't know, that is pathetic. Um, but many of the sanctions that have been placed on Russia by not just the U.S., but by several other countries um, consist of restricting their banks and their elites from using currencies. So this means they can only use the Russian currency. They aren't allowed to use any money that's being held in an American bank, a Canadian bank, a Mexican bank. And dun, 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 Switzerland's involved scary. Switzerland hasn't been involved in a conflict in over 500 years, and it's genuinely terrifying that they got involved. They didn't get involved in World War II. There was an atomic bomb involved in World War II. This is scary. Um, some of the other sanctions consist of freezing assets, which is what I just talked about. So um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Pandora books or the Pandora papers, but the Pandora papers especially, they expose tons of like elites all over the world for having a shit ton of fucking illegal money in Switzerland banks and not just Switzerland banks, but in like offshore accounts. Anyway, they're bad. They're scary. And only really, really, really scary rich people have them. And it's to protect themselves basically from taxes. Just know that finances are complicated, but Switzerland, America, and every other country uh, that like had a sanction on Russia essentially went, you are blocked. (laughs) 
you are not touching these assets until this war is over. And Switzerland didn't just block them. They also joined the EU, which is the European Union, which is super freaking scary, but also super freaking cool. They also are cutting off access. Several countries are cutting off access to ports and airports. And America is, um, they're blocking Russia from being able to use our airspaces. So it just means that they can't fly over America without being shot down. So if you are banned from an airspace, it means that people, essentially that country has permission to shoot you down. So America is super close to Russia. I know in your head, you're probably going, no, it's not. You literally take a boat from Alaska and get to Russia. It is super close. We just don't think it's super close. So if they fly, they have to usually fly over America to get to like Canada and places like that. So now they can't. This is going to, as I just said, from the breaking news, it's going to tank their economy. It's going to completely tank their economy. It is going to fuck them up. And it's not just going to fuck up their citizens. They're hitting the elites. And you might be wondering, hmm, how is this going to affect the rest of the world? Well, it's not going to look too hot, but we're definitely going to be looking better than Russia. But because Russia is one of the biggest suppliers of oil, prices on gas and oil have absolutely skyrocketed through the roof. They went from like 92, the first day they placed the sanctions on, like 122. So just make sure you try and keep a full tank in your car, but also don't go crazy and start putting gas into plastic bags. And I know we have listeners from North Carolina, so do not do that. I remember when Russia hacked the pipeline and I saw people putting gas in their buckets and not like oil buckets, like shit, like the containers that you pack up your house in when you move. Like literally loads buckets. They're putting gas in Walmart bags and tying them and throwing them into the back of the truck. See. Don't do that. I, Don't be in. That's but also completely worth it because if it will, it's important that we try and stop them from getting Ukraine because Ukraine, as we just said, isn't their only goal. When this happened in 2014 with Crimea, we were like, maybe Crimea is their only goal. No, it wasn't. This has everything to do with Putin. This doesn't actually have to do with their citizens. So don't be like, we hate all Russians, shake my fist. Yeah. And the working class like of Russia, they're suffering too, for sure. Like, and they're all, I mean, like anybody who's under a dictatorial regime is suffering. That being said, there has been a lot of protests within Russia, like coming from the citizens and everything. So it's important for us to remember that like, we have more in common, like the listeners of this podcast, unless some billionaire is listening to the podcast, which if you are, fund us, you bitch coward. Um, but (laughs) so like, yeah, we have more in common with a working class Russian person or working class Ukraine person than we do with a billionaire anywhere, an elite person anywhere, a a politician, basically anywhere. So that's always important to remember. It's, it's the citizens of the countries that suffer the most. We talked about Facebook, but there's also, there was a Russian editor who set herself on fire. I hope she's resting peacefully. Her name was Irina Slavina. And she wrote on Facebook the day before she died, I asked you to blame the Russian Federation for my death. And she was found with severe burns and she set herself on fire. And she was part of a, a community that essentially tried to talk about the things that Russia did with absolutely no filter. And they did absolute terrible things to them. And they will they arrested Ice Peak at several of their concerts. And the only reason that Ice Peak isn't dead is because they're in the public eye. Mm-hmm. That's it. But people that speak out about this and they talk bad about the Russian government, they go to jail or worse things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we remember that because yeah. they are suffering. They don't even understand exactly what's happening with Ukraine, like because of the propaganda that's going on within their country. And it's important to remember that a lot of times with war, 
and bad countries, citizens are just pawns. They don't know what's actually going on. Because if you're not having free will, you just know what you're being told and what's being fed to you. And shit, how many of you fuckers think we, what everything you see on TikTok is real? So if they're seeing a whole bunch of Putin is good, they're going to think Putin's good. Yeah. Or like, yeah, they're going to believe, you know, if somebody is telling them like, oh, there's like this huge threat. This is you need to be concerned about this. Like they're going to look into that at least. So, yeah, it's hard for the citizens of from all ends. But yeah, so direct your anger at at the people at the top because it's not the citizens' fault because they also definitely didn't elect Putin. So no, like they, nobody nobody elected Putin. He elected himself. Putin elected Putin. Um, they do, they literally don't want him like in Russia at all. Nobody does, mm. except the Russian elites because he keeps paying them. Exactly. With all that we talked about today, there is obviously like a lot that's been said. We wanted to also touch on some ways that you can help out the Ukraine and assist the Ukraine. Yeah, we have a bunch of links in our bio. And then um, we also like led descriptions for like what is there. But if you are just like, oh, I don't have any money. Talk about it. Yeah. So yeah. So we will direct you to our Instagram, uh, which is at Gen Z's Guide to Politics, all one word. And you can go there to find um, one of our most recent posts. It will have a lot of resources that you can swipe and see to find there. And we also have a bunch of good links in our bio, like Pauline was saying. So yeah. So with that being said, check out some ways to help. Uh, We want to thank you guys so much for listening today and for keeping up to date with the news and with what's going on. It's a responsible thing to do. We also want to remind you guys to definitely take a break from the news and from scrolling and just all the information that can be flooding in sometimes. It can be really overwhelming and you can't be your best self and give the help and love to people that they need if you don't take care of yourself too. Um, You are Will. So take care of yourself. Yes. Or we'll be upset at you at the very least. Totally. <laughs> upset with you. Upset. We'll be cross. Yeah. Your mother would be disappointed. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, so thank you guys again for listening. And yeah, you can find us on Instagram and um, we are available on all streaming platforms. So check us out at anyone that you would like. Uh, we appreciate you and we hope you're doing Are we, are we, oh yeah, goodbye. <laughs>